So we are in the midst of a a series on the book of Acts this summer, and I invite you to turn with me to that book. Acts is in your New Testament. It's page 1703, 1703 in your pew Bibles, and we are up to chapter 7. We'll begin with verse 48 there. Let me just give you a, a little bit of background. So this This part of uh, the book of Acts is about Stephen, and um, Stephen is introduced to us already in chapter 6. He was one of those uh, appointed to wait tables or to serve serve tables and to make sure that the um, Grecian Jews were treated as well as the Hebraic Jews. Um, He's described this way in verse 8 of chapter 6, a man full of God's grace and power, Um, He did wonders and miraculous signs among the people, and because of that, opposition um, grew up against him. And um, particularly, um, this opposition is is told us in verse 13. It says, uh, his accusers said, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, that is the temple, and against the law, or the law of Moses. And those two things... um, is what he's accused of. And then uh, Stephen has to speak in court and defend himself against his accusers. And he gives really one of the longest uh, sermons. It is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And we're not going to read that in its entirety this morning. And you're taking a deep breath and saying, wow, good. Um, But read it sometime and, and pay particular attention to how Stephen weaves in his defense of the fact that uh, the temple and the law of Moses are not going to save anybody, but ultimately those things are fulfilled in the person of Jesus himself, and that um, really his accusers are idolaters in that they are worshiping the temple and the law as if it in some way is ultimate rather than um, just something that points to uh, the coming of the Christ. <clears throat> now, we're going to look at um, um, Stephen's last words in his defense and then how that all turns out. So, if you look with me at uh, verse 48 of chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 48, again, page 1703. Let's read there. However, the Most High, Stephen says, does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? This is uh, God speaking to David at this time, says the Lord. Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And he goes on, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears 
and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men um, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And even in spite of that, the church, we read, began to grow as it spread out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may want to keep your Bibles open as we'll look at a few things um, in particular this morning. Sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, it would be hard, I think, to ignore the contrast this morning between what we just witnessed and what we just read, right? So what we just witnessed a few moments ago in in, uh, our worship service was two young women who stood up and said that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They believe that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, that he reigns there, and that he is their Savior and he is their Lord and they trust in him for their salvation. It's essentially what you guys said this morning. And our reaction, I think, was pretty much the same. We, some of us smiled on our faces as we heard their professions. Some of us may have smiled in our hearts. Some of us may have even cheered in our hearts and said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That kind of thing, right? I know we don't always do that out loud here in a CRC church, but you might do that in your heart. And then we figured, well, afterward, you're probably going to go home or have dinner with your friends and family, and you're going to have a nice little celebration, and it'll it'll be good. It'll all be very nice. It's the kind of thing that we go home from church and say, it was a nice day at church today. It was a nice day. Profession of faith. It was great. And then we read our text. And we read about a man named Stephen who made essentially the same profession as these young girls did this morning. He stood up in front of the courtroom, in front of his friends and neighbors, and he professed the same thing that these young women did, that Jesus was killed, he was crucified, but he rose from the dead, and now he's ascended into heaven where he reigns, only the reaction that Stephen got was just a little bit different than what these girls got this morning, wasn't it? I mean, when Stephen finished his profession, the wheels came off the Sanhedrin, didn't they? They go berserk, screaming and shouting and singing, we will rock you, and that's exactly what they did, literally. They killed Stephen. We smiled, they killed. How do you account for that? I mean, what are we supposed to make of that exactly? You know, um, I read quite a few commentaries on this text, and it seemed that many of them 
made it their main ambition not to spoil our after parties today. In other words, they, they seem to make it their main ambition not to make the connection between professing that Jesus lives <clears throat> and the fact that we might die for that profession. Apparently, that's, that's a message that's a little too dark for us today as North American Christians. Um, most of the commentators said something like this, yes, it's true that Stephen died for his faith, but that's really not the main message of our text. Or they said something like this, well, Stephen, he did die for his faith, yes, but, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us are going, very few of us are actually going to die when we stand up and profess Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. <clears throat> it was like, you know, when Stephen walks into his room, he's followed by this big elephant that no one wants to talk about, and that is that being a witness for Jesus really is not all that safe. It's not safe. Being a witness for Jesus can land you on the wrong side of a pile of rocks. We don't talk about that too often, do we? And yet, in a certain way, these commentators sort of have a point. I mean, professing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, especially in North America, especially in a place like Brookfield, will not automatically end you up like Stephen. It's, it's not going to necessarily lead to your death. And there is a lot more to this story than the fact that, that Stephen died. I mean, it's very much about the big picture of what happens when we do actually testify to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We don't know exactly what that's going to lead to for us personally, but we do have a pretty good idea of what that will lead to ultimately. So let's just think about those things for, for a few minutes, okay? Um, for starters, let's think about this word witness. This word witness. Stephen is, is always considered to be the first martyr in the Christian church, okay? And, and generally, we assume that that's what the word martyr means, that if, if you're martyred, you're someone who dies for what you believe in. You die for your faith. Um, the word martyr in Greek, that's, that's literally the word martyr in Greek. It actually means witness, okay? It just means to witness, and there's a connection, however, in that when we do witness to Jesus, it can and sometimes does actually lead to our death, to us being martyred, right? There's a connection there, sometimes a very literal connection that when we witness, we can also be martyred. Now, that word witness really has, has two senses to it. Okay, it, has, it has sort of a passive sense, and it has a very active sense, right? In the passive sense, to witness something means to simply see something, to observe something, right? Um, we call someone who observes a crime an eyewitness. It's, it's not like, it, but it's a passive thing, right? It's not like you wake up some morning and say, well, I'm going to see uh, somebody rob a gas station this morning. No, that's not how it works, right? It's almost like the event seeks you out rather than you seeking out the event, right? You just happen to be somewhere and you see a crime take place. You, you witness it. You observe it. it. You can't do anything about it. It just, just happens, right? It's a very passive sort of thing. But there's also a very active sense to this word, right? 
This is when an eyewitness, someone who sees something, then later stands up in court and testifies to the fact that I saw this. All right? You tell somebody about what you saw. You, you testify. You tell others what you actually observed. Now, a Christian witness is a witness in both of these senses. You see something, you observe something, and then you tell other people about it. That's what it means to be a Christian witness. This is what happened with Stephen, right? Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw. He saw Jesus. He, he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. He didn't make that up. He just, he just observed something. He didn't, he didn't create that scene, but he, he saw it. He witnessed it. He was an eyewitness to what was going on in heaven. So he saw, but it didn't end there, did it? Then he told the court what he saw. He testified to what he saw. He let others know what he saw. And it's that witness in both of those senses that got Stephen in such hot water. In fact, many people have said, you know, if, if Stephen would have just quit talking at about verse 53, he, he, would, have, he would have saved his life. Okay? He might have been flogged, he might have been put in prison, he might have been punished in some other way, but he probably wouldn't have been killed. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, you know, his words weren't strong, that they weren't accusatory, that they weren't incendiary, but, but the Sanhedrin had probably heard these kinds of things before. In fact, they've heard these kinds of things already in the book of Acts, and they didn't kill anybody as a result of them, but here they do. And it's because Stephen doesn't know when to shut up. He keeps talking. And what does he talk about? Well, in verse 55, we read that he sees Jesus. He looks up to heaven, he sees Jesus, and then he reports to the Sanhedrin what it is that he saw. He saw Jesus, the Son of Man, at the right hand of God, which would have sounded like blasphemy to the Jews. Okay? Especially that word son of man, that title. They had heard Jesus refer to himself that way many times. The son of man, Jesus was always talking about the son of man. And it's an image that comes from the book of Daniel. You've heard that before from Daniel chapter 7. It's this image of this mighty figure that is filled with glory and he stands really equal to God. And so that would have been seen as blasphemy to the Jews to lift up anyone on the same level as God, but that's what the Sanhedrin hears, and they kill Stephen because of it. And yet that's what a witness does. A witness sees, and then a witness tells, and you have no control over the consequences. You see, you tell, you leave the consequences to God. Now let me ask you this, not just you girls, but all of us. Are you a witness to Jesus? Have you seen Jesus in your life or in the lives of the people around you? Have you seen Jesus? If so, where? 
What was he doing? Have you seen him perhaps in the eyes of a friend? A friend who should have met you with anger, but instead met you with mercy. Maybe you saw Jesus in a camp counselor who patiently listened as you, as you cried and confessed your, your most intimate sins and then hugged you and told you to go and sin no more. Maybe you saw Jesus in the lunchroom at school when, when your best friend sort of walked away from his or, home, her, his or her own group of friends and they sat down at the lunch table with the new kid. Maybe you saw Jesus and the friend who skipped a beer after the game and said, no, I've got to run home and, and help my spouse put the kids to bed. Maybe you saw Jesus in worship. Maybe it was right here in this sanctuary. Maybe you saw Jesus meet one of your grieving friends. Or maybe it was, maybe it was a friend of yours who, who just felt the forgiveness of Christ himself flow down and you could see in the way he sang the words to the most beautiful hymn and gave praise and honor and glory to God. Maybe you saw Jesus there. Where, where have you seen Jesus? Where have you spotted him? And if you have, what's your next move? Tell someone. Tell people. Just tell. When Luke tells us about Stephen, he wants us to remember the words of of Jesus, words that he had written in his gospel. He'd recorded them. Remember the words... Jesus says this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him. Or actually he says, the son of man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. It's a pretty important text. A witness never denies Jesus. A witness testifies to what she sees and knows. Okay, the second thing I want to point out is that being a witness is not all about third-person sort of testimony. It's, It's not all about, well, I saw Jesus over there working in that person's life. Okay? A Christian witness is someone who also sees and testifies to Jesus in the first person. In the first person. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus did for me. If you look again at the way Stephen, or Stephen dies, and you look at his words, look at what he says to people who are throwing rocks in his direction, people who are just filled with hatred, he says to them, Lord, or Lord Jesus, these are his last words, receive my spirit. And then he goes on, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Now, who do those words remind you of? Let me, let me give you a hint. If you think back to last Lenten season, we had a sermon series. You remember what it was? 
And I know those are always really dangerous words for a pastor to ask. So don't even nod your heads. Just, I'll remind you, we did a series on the seven last words of Christ <clears throat> from the cross. And Stephen has two of them on his lips right here. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen takes those words onto his dying lips. And what it tells us is that Stephen has taken on the form and the character of Christ himself. Okay? This is the form of his Lord. Um, the first thing we read about Stephen when we meet him is that he was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we read that again um, just before he dies. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings us into union with Christ. And then he shapes us into the character, the form of Christ himself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in Stephen. This is a first-person kind of work. He does this to me. He did this to me. A witness is someone who testifies to Jesus in that first person. I know Jesus, and I trust Jesus, and I want to be like Jesus, and I want to love like him. I want to live a beautiful life like him. I want to wear all of his virtues like fine jewelry on my body. I want to be like Christ. Stephen is becoming more and more like Jesus in his words, but also in his faith and in his actions. Just notice the description of his death here in verse 60. Luke tells us he fell asleep. Now think about that. He fell asleep? you got to be kidding me. Who would describe being stoned to death as falling asleep? It's got to be one of the most violent ways a person can die. Being pelted with rocks until you're unconscious and bleeding and your bones are breaking and finally, finally you die. And Luke tells us, well, he, he fell asleep. But you see, Luke is telling us something about Stephen here. He's, he's, he's showing us Stephen's character, that this is a man filled with poise and, and dignity and calmness and grace. Stephen can face adversity with, with poise because he's assured that the Son of Man is on his side. The Son of Man stands with him. Okay, let me just get a little geeky with, with details, all right? Um, that's what Stephen says. He looks up into heaven and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he tells the Sanhedrin this. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now think about that. Usually when we read about, about Jesus at the right hand of God, he's always sitting He's always sitting at the right hand of God. That's what we even professed in the Apostles' Creed this morning. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. We've talked about this before. Why do we say he was seated? Because that was his high priestly work. That's what the book of Hebrews even points out to us. That, that when Jesus made that ultimate sacrifice, that one sacrifice for all of our sins, for all time, he offered that as our great high priest, and then he sat down because he had no more work to do. 
The sacrifice was made. He was seated. It is finished. And so, in a sense, we know that the work is done on our behalf. But Stephen doesn't see Jesus seated. He sees him standing. Why? Why is Jesus standing here? Well, think about that text that I read just a little bit earlier from Luke. Whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. Where does Stephen see? See Jesus. He's standing in heaven before the angels of God. That's a courtroom scene. Whoever acknowledges me before men, whoever stands up and testifies that, yes, I know this person. Yes, he has saved me from my sins. I've seen him. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. Whoever does that, Jesus says, I will do that in heaven. I will do that same thing. It's a courtroom scene where the Son of Man stands in the courtroom of heaven and says, this one belongs to me. But I think there's, there's even more to it. If you, if you realize that, that the work of our great high priest is finished, there's still work for our great king to do, isn't there? The king is still bringing all things under his own feet so that he may present them to the Father. The king is still about his mission of bringing all things under his feet. Okay? And how does he do that? How does our great king fight that battle? I think so often we picture him with a sword, right? Waging war and fighting his enemies. And and in a certain regard, he is fighting the evil one that way. But what does the Bible tell us over and over again about that sword? It's what? It's the mighty word of our God. He fights with his word. And how else does he do it? Does he do it by killing other people or by dying himself? By being willing to suffer? And here we see this picture of of the king who's standing at the right hand of God and what's he testifying to Stephen? You are my servant. And through you, I am still waging battle. How? Through your suffering and your death. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. It all contributes to the big picture of what I am doing in this world. Stephen gets that picture. I see the Son of Man. My sins have been paid for. My judge is standing in my defense, defending me in all of heaven, and my king is still waging battle, and he's doing it through me, through my willingness to suffer and profess his name and even die. Stephen sees his union with Christ. I have union with Christ. And it gives him a calmness and an assurance and a poise to face whatever adversity comes his way in life. Let me ask you, do you shine with that same first-person witness? That whatever adversity comes your way in life, you can face it with dignity and grace because you have looked into heaven 
and you have seen the Son of Man standing in your defense and standing with you, standing on your side and saying, if you suffer for me, know that it's not in vain. So let me just recap. What we've seen so far is that true witness is, you know, it's eyes on Jesus and then telling about it. But it's not just that third-person witness. It's witnessing to what Jesus has done in my life, who he is in my life, what he's still doing. That's what it means to literally be a witness And while we don't always know exactly where that's going to lead for us personally, what that result is going to be for us personally, we do know how things are going to turn out in the end, ultimately. We don't know the details, but we do know the big picture. And in that way, I think all of these commentators I was talking about, they were right. Luke doesn't tell us the account of Stephen to say that every person who testifies to Jesus is going to end up dead. Rather, the book of Acts tells us how the Holy Spirit uses each and every one of our witnesses to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's what he's doing. That's where it's all going. But I want you to just think of a couple of details in that regard. The last person who we read about in our text, who was it? It was a man named Saul. And Saul witnessed Stephen's death. Saul heard Stephen testify that he saw the ascended and risen Jesus. And Saul heard Jesus' voice in Stephen's voice as he said, Father, forgive them. Saul witnessed Jesus in Stephen, or Stephen, however you want to say it. Do you know who the next person was to witness the ascended Jesus in the book of Acts? You got it, it's Saul. There he witnesses the ascended Jesus, and I wonder if when he saw him, his mind even might have gone back after all the shock and surprise to think, you know, I heard about this living Jesus before, this ascended Jesus. I heard it from Stephen. Someone who was willing to suffer and die for this Jesus. And I wonder if that had any impact on this man Saul who became the greatest missionary of all time and was willing to suffer anything for the sake of Jesus. I wonder if there's a connection There's even a place later in the book of Acts, we'll probably read it later in this series sometime, but but Paul is is witnessing before a large group of his fellow Jews, and, and one of the things he says is, you know what, there was a man named Stephen who spilled his blood talking about this Jesus, and I was standing there, nodding my agreement to it all. Stephen stuck in Paul's mind, and I just wonder, He had something to do with his salvation. We can never say for sure things like that. And isn't that the way it so often is with our witness? Can't say exactly what God uses it for. But you get the the big picture, don't you? 
He always uses it to advance his gospel. We don't know if it's with intimate friends. We don't know if it's with husbands or wives or children. You don't know if it's with complete strangers. You just know that if you witness to Jesus Christ, God will use that. It never goes for naught. Now, I just want to say one more thing this morning before we close. I said earlier that many of the commentators seem to want to talk around the fact that Stephen died for telling us what he saw. They talk around that fact that witnessing might actually lead to death. And I think they do that because none of us North American Christians want to hear that testifying to Jesus might mean suffering and it might mean death. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear that being a Christian is pretty much safe and nice. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you the truth. That sometimes being a witness to the end demands death. We tell what we see. We tell what we know. We testify to other people. And we don't know where that might lead. Don McLeod was a longtime professor at Princeton Seminary. And he loved to tell a story about a young Chinese student who fled his, uh, his home and family because of persecution for his faith. McLeod always uh, asked one of his students to open up his class periods with prayer. And one day he asked this particular Chinese student. And the young man stunned everybody with his prayer. This is what he prayed. He said, oh God, give us something to die for. For if we don't have something to die for, we have nothing to live for. If we don't have something to die for, we have nothing to live for. I wonder sometimes in our quest for, you know, security and comfort, in our quest to save our lives, if we don't sort of prove Jesus and his words right, that those who are trying to save their lives in the end will lose them. Um, Mitchell McCreary <clears throat> is a comedian, and he's also autistic. Um, in his book, <clears throat> Funny You Don't Look Autistic, which apparently was a phrase he's heard much in his life, um, he tells the story of how his parents tried to prepare him for school, how they tried to prepare him for kindergarten. And what they did is they worked tirelessly on his manners, okay? They drilled him on how to say please and thank you and you're welcome. They worked with him on how to look people in the eye when he spoke. They, they, they taught him how to hold the door open for other people and then, and then to step aside and let them go first. And his parents were, were well-meaning, okay? They, they didn't want him to stand out any more from the crowd than he already did. And so they drilled him and drilled him on his manners. Well, that first day of kindergarten came around and Michael actually remembered his, his manners. 
And as they went outside for recess, he, uh, he held the door open, or he opened the door, and then he stepped back so his friend could go first. Um, but little did he know that um, nobody else in the school had really learned their manners, and he wound up holding the door open for 223 elementary students as they all filed out, and he stood there opening the door for all of them. You see the problem, right? <clears throat> At least I hope so. Michael's parents assumed that all the other parents were teaching their kids about manners, but that wasn't true. See, the other parents hadn't taken the time to sit down their children deliberately and talk to them about practicing their manners. It's not like the parents didn't care. It's not like they wanted their children to be self-centered or anything like that. They just, they just didn't do it deliberately. They sort of thought their kids would catch on, maybe by osmosis and just sort of watching their parents, right? And that was a mistake. And I wonder, friends, if sometimes we don't make the same mistake when teaching our children about Christian witness and talking about Christian witness in the church. We don't really teach our children that sometimes Jesus does call us to give our lives to be his witnesses. And so be prepared, because you never know what's going to come. Instead, we just sort of assume they're, they're going to learn it somewhere by osmosis, right? By coming to church, perhaps. Although I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly why, because I don't know that there have been many martyrs out of Brookfield in the last few years. But when the church doesn't teach specifically that Jesus that Jesus is something to die for? And I wonder what we're really teaching them about whether or not he is something to live for. Martyrs may die well, but they also live well. They really do. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, by your grace, <clears throat> keep us from being the kind of people who talk around, witness, and what it really means and what it can really lead to. Lord, by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, make us people who have something indeed to die for, and therefore, something to live for every day. Vital life in Jesus Christ. Being your witnesses in everything that we do. Lord, by your grace, may we be called witnesses for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.